Amen. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, God. He's so good. Can I share the highlight of my week with you? Is that okay? All right. I had a highlight this week. You're about to do the same thing with the people right around you, so you might be thinking of a highlight or a low light, but I had a highlight this week and it actually took place right here on this platform. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. So a year ago, really at the encouragement of Brant Gillespie, and I'm pointing over there because he's not there right now, but Brant and Charlotte are in Toronto right now. But at Brant's urging, and also with the help of Jonathan Frizz, who uh, runs an organization called Wisdom Way, we started Gather Pastors to Pray Together in this area. That was one year ago. There were about six of us who started. We meet monthly. And I was just so thrilled that on Tuesday, on this platform, 22 pastors and leaders from Beverly, from Salem, from Peabody, from Hamilton and Wenham were praying together for this city and for this region. Isn't that awesome? Can we just give God glory? Can we just give thanks? Because he's good. He's done a great thing. I just get excited about that because some of you are familiar with John 17, where Jesus is praying for the church to be united. And oh, in this day, we need the church to be united. So I just want you to know there's a good thing going on in this region that pastors are praying together. And uh, we just give God the glory. So it's awesome. <clears throat> well, as Josh said, I, I do have a word that I'm going to share, but I'd like to share some announcements first. And, uh, but before I do that, I want you to turn to your neighbor. Why don't you share with them your highlight of your week? Go ahead. <clears throat> okay. Awesome. Hey, this is encouraging because it sounds like there are lots of highlights going on. That, that gets me excited. <clears throat> well, I want to call your attention to our bulletin tonight. And so if you have one, please start to look that over. And a few highlights that I want to mention are next week at 5 o'clock, we're going to meet in the little room, not because of its size, but because of the person for whom it's named, but right across the way here, the little room, we're going to meet for a baptism class. If you're wanting to get water baptized, I just would like to meet with you and explain kind of what it looks like from our perspective and what it means for you to get baptized. We had our membership class today at four. If you missed that and are wanting to become a member, please know that we'll cycle that through again, this membership baptism cycle sometime in the summer. So just keep your eyes out for that. Second thing that I'd like to tell you about today is we have a wonderful school involved here at the harbor, and it's called the Navigate Training School. Actually, if you're a Navigate Training School student, we just raise your hand so we can see there's about 20 of you out there. Come on. All right, you guys give your hands a round of applause for these guys right here. They've had a hard year. <laughs> Let me tell you our heart. You know, recently we went through our series called um, Harbor 101. We were going through our values and our vision, and you know that we are a haven for the broken, and we are launched to the nations, okay? We are loving God, we are sharing, we are proclaiming, awesome. So on this one about being a haven for the broken, launch to the nations, and sharing life, we, in the interest of those values, we started the Navigate Training School. Right now, it is a two-year program at nights, one night per week. Eventually, we'd like to make it a one-year program, about 20 hours a week of seat time. But until we have the momentum to do that, we're doing this night school. And how it works is, we have two modules. The first module is called uh, Mod 1. Isn't that original? Thank you. I thought of that myself. Um, The first module is about being a disciple or a follower of Jesus. We just want to go over the heart attitudes and habits of a follower of Jesus. It's modeled largely after the DTS, Discipleship Training School, uh, which an organization called YWAM started 
uh, years ago, and we use their model, except we expand a little bit, and, uh, and then we head to the nations in the summer. The second module is for those of you who are wanting or interested in becoming church planters, which, by the way, is just a way that we see us expanding the kingdom of God here at the harbor. Um, actually, there's really some solid empirical evidence that shows that new believers come to new churches, and so we want to be about planting new churches. And uh, if that's interesting to you, then we want you to consider this school. Now, you can go through Mod 1 and not do Mod 2, so you have that liberty. But the way you want to get involved is, in the, in the little room, there's this brochure, which explains the school in depth. You can look at a little bit more of our curriculum. And then the application, which is due June 1st. Okay, if you're interested in 2010, 2011, the Navigate Training School, Wednesday evenings, you want to fill out this application. Speaking of the Navigate Training School, we have a wonderful event coming up this Saturday, and I just am so thrilled about this church being able to have a good time together. Is anyone excited about a good time? Come on. You know, one of the, you know, we have to know that just as holy as our worship time is, our fellowship time is equally as holy. So I'm inviting you next Saturday to come to a fundraising event that we're doing. It's our benefit dinner. It's a benefit auction. It's a benefit concert. Now listen, you go out to Cheesecake Factory like Kelsey and I did on Friday, and you can easily blow $10. Okay, easily. So you just imagine, instead of blowing $10 at Cheesecake Factory, you come here for $10, and not only do you get an awesome dinner, but you're going to get a phenomenal concert by some of, your, some of your navigators and fellow Harborites. You're also going to have a chance to win auction items. Now, I want to put a little word here to our students, lest you think, oh, I don't have a checkbook with anything in it, you know, with representing anything. But I want to tell you that this is what students can do when it comes to auction items. And there are both, both silent auction items and there are live auction items. I'm going to explain what you can do. Students, I encourage you to band together. For example... We do have, we're going to be auctioning off a weekend in Vermont at a um, resort thing, okay? Yeah. Come on, college students. Four of you get together, bid, you know, outbid everyone else. That's yours in June or July. What is it, June or July? June, okay, in June. We have several Red Sox tickets that are going to be auctioned on, okay? We've got wonderful gifts that could use for Mother's Day, which is coming up, I believe, May 9th. And we've got a whole set of gifts that will be appropriate for that. What you want to do is don't just think, oh, I can't be involved in the auction because I don't have no money. What you need to do is find friends who have money and bid together. Okay, that's what we need you to do. All right? We're just going to have a great time. It's it really just going to be fun. And I'm just so looking forward to, you know, we, we, we need to create more opportunities for fellowship. And this is just going to hit the nail on the head. And every single dollar, um, whether it's your uh, entrance fee, whether it's something you auction, every single dollar is going to be spread evenly between the Navigate students to get us to North Africa, which is where we're going at the end of June and beginning of July. So please come. And the way that you can sign up is, before you leave, actually, um, I'm going to ask some of our administrators to help us. We actually need to set up a table in the back that has both the Epic book and this sign-up place. So some of our administrators uh, could just get on that. I'd appreciate it. But at that back table, um, you'll be able to sign up for... Saturday night, and if you don't have the $10 now, that's okay. Just sign up, so we're trying to get an idea for what kind of food we need to prepare. We're going to be using the downstairs hall for the first time, and another huge blessing from Emmanuel is that they have given us the hall, and actually the use of the whole church for free, because normally we uh, would pay, they they let us pay half price um, for things not pertaining to the Sunday service, but as a way, because they're not sending any teams this summer, 
they've decided to give it to us. So it's just one blessing after another. So hey, come Saturday night. It's going to be a great time. Honey, what have I missed? Anything? I think I got it. Okay. Anchor Rising, come this Saturday. We're just going to have a good time together. Awesome. Okay, last day, I have a very special introduction to make. And they've just made it here from New York City. Some of you who will get our weekly email know that we have Joanne Hiley and her assistant Dick is here. And they've come up to spend three or four days with us. They're going to be counseling with people. And um, I'm going to let her share a little bit of her story, a little bit of how her ministry works. And um, uh, also, at the end of this service, if you didn't get a chance to sign up for a time via email... Uh, Sarah DeBear will be in the back and will be able to, well, you'll be able to see what slots are still available if you want to get counseling with Joanne. And it's just a wonderful opportunity we have. So I would really like uh, a harbor welcome for Joanne as she comes and shares. Okay? Come on, Joanne. <laughs> well, hello. It's so nice to be here, I must say. We just drove from North Truro, uh, yeah, Cape Cod, and um, it was mighty cold there. So your warm welcome really hit us where we needed it. Thanks a lot. Um, I'm looking forward very much to speaking to you this whole week. Anybody that wants to come and counsel with me or um, listen in the the times that I will be speaking, but right now, I just want to tell you what happened to me in my life. I was born in Oklahoma, it's a long way off, um, and I definitely had a, an interesting family I was born to. My father was 50 when I was born, my mother was 42, my brother was 17, my sister was 13. So I was the star of the family. And I really liked it a lot. But by the time I was five years old, my father fell dead at work. My brother had gotten married. My sister had gone to college. And my mother had to go to work. So it was like my whole family sort of evaporated. And uh, I remember sort of sitting in the front porch swing, looking at the trees a lot because it felt like I was completely abandoned. I didn't know that that was doing anything to me. I really didn't. I just knew my mind sort of turned off. And um, then, of course, right at the same time, we had been going through World War II. Um, That was very shocking to me. And also, um, my sister had been married to a man And uh, he went into the service and then wrote her and said he had found someone else. So she was left with a baby and um, it was just mother and my sister and the baby and me. And I began to get the idea that men would abandon you or hurt you. That's what it seemed my father had done and it seemed that my sister's husband had done. And these things began to work on me. But I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I had any funny feelings. I just, they were just inside. And I know when my mother would be frightened at night and sit up holding a loaded gun, I would be very frightened myself. But I felt I couldn't express it. I had to push it down and say, oh, mother, we're going to be okay. 
And she began to say to me, Joanne, you're going to have to be the man of the household because I'm so scared. So I tried to take on the things in the house that had to be done. And that then, when I was 13 years old, led me to feel so as if everything was on me. I couldn't express what I had inside. And when this certain girl in uh, that our particular grade, when I was 13, approached me and would come home to study with me. And I remember she kissed me in a way that I had never been kissed before. I didn't know there was any such thing as sexuality, but something stirred in me. And the first thing I felt when that happened was revulsion. But the second thing that came very quickly on the heels of that was attraction. And we began a 10-year lesbian relationship that lasted the whole time. I was in junior high school, in high school, and even going through Bible college. I know that sounds so strange, but it seemed that the same way I had turned off my mind to the pain I had about my father's death was the same technique I used to turn off the lesbian life that I was living so that then I could act as if I were a Christian girl. And I dedicated my life to full-time Christian service when I was 16 while I was practicing lesbianism. I went to Bible college when I was 18 while I was practicing lesbianism. And I graduated from Bible college and took a position in a church while I was practicing lesbianism. So you can see, I had definitely developed a way of compartmentalizing my mind and going into unreality, which we have found is definitely the major problem, one of the major problems in homosexuality. I never dreamed at that time that God would ever call me to do anything because I felt so conflicted, so corrupted, and yet so trapped. I thank God that there is a way out, and he definitely led me out of homosexuality. This was an amazing thing that happened because essentially it was not one event but it was getting to the point where I could see reality enough that I finally said, this is it. I can't do this any longer. Now, that isn't the way our ministry works now, but God, in his sovereign, tremendous power, took me and led me forth out of this problem. Very soon, I met a man in a, my voice teacher's studio who um, was very interesting to me. And I thought, what's happening? This is extremely strange. I thought all men would hurt you and abandon you. And um, he seems to be hanging around a lot. And um, so as we went on in our relationship, Ron highly showed me that there could be love and there could be trust in a man even after that kind of pain. And, um, you know, we've found, we're just now working on a series of teachings in Manhattan 
called Putting Away Childish Things. And this is a terrific passage that comes right out of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Isn't it interesting that God would place in that chapter the idea of when I was a child, I talked like a child, I understood like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So obviously there's a clue there about love that we need to put away childish things that we've stored inside if, in fact, we're going to be mature people in Christ and be able to love. And that's what I found out through 45 years of marriage to Ron, Ron Hiley. It's glorious, really glorious. But he, the Lord called us to start life ministry in Manhattan uh, let's see, 32 years ago. So I've been sitting with people counseling and praying and casting out demons and um, essentially telling them that homosexuality is an ungodly reaction to pain in childhood and that God knows that and that he has mercy and he has love and he has long-suffering with us as we work through those emotions as we turn from the physical activity, as we turn from the filth of pornography and masturbation and fantasy and go into facing what's really in there and cleaning it out. It is a glorious thing. I, I love counseling people. I counsel about 42 people a week, and I love it. When I heard the schedule someone had arranged for me here, I thought, hmm, they know how I work. So I look forward to meeting with you. I want to share with you some of the things that the Lord has shown us, and I definitely want to help you see what holds you in bondage if you're in bondage. And I want to rejoice with you over what will happen as you're set free. So God bless you. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. <clears throat> Joanne, thank you. It's just an honor and a privilege to have you here with us. And um, Joanne is here, and uh, at the end of the service, you know, we like to have response time. Now is a great time where you can get prayed for by Joanne. Also, uh, we will open our Navigate School this Wednesday. We meet at um, 16 Atlantic Ave, where the church was started, actually, the home of Sarah DeBear, Sarah Fulton, and Megan Pelletier. We'll be there this Wednesday, and if you can't get a counseling appointment because already taken, that'd be another time where you could be with us. We want to make sure you know you're all welcome there also. It's actually really good, Joanne, that you shared your story because it, it just really fits into what we're doing. And um, I'm going to, um, uh, we're just going to start tonight, I guess, basically, because um, I, I see the time and um, I just want to make sure that there's plenty of time to respond. <clears throat> so, We'll get started tonight, and then if we don't finish, then we'll just continue next week, because God's so good. For those of you who are joining with us, we are uh, at the second meeting of this, this series we're calling Why God Why? Because as Joanne mentioned, you know, as a, as, a, as a young girl, she found her heart crying out in tons of pain, you know, childhood trauma, and uh, Joanne just shared with you some of her uh, defining wounds, you know, things that we looked at 
last week, and one of the things we, we talked about last week was that you have an enemy. That was our main, that's how we started. We started with, hey, where there's pain in your life, where there's trauma, you need to know something. And then that is that the conclusion that uh, Goodwill Hunting got from his, his uh, counselor there, Robin Williams, <clears throat> it's not your fault. For some of you, that initial trauma, that initial wound, it's not your fault. In fact, you have an enemy. You're opposed, right? We looked at 1 Peter 5.8, which says, um, your enemy, the devil, <clears throat> prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So for some of you, you just needed to hear last week, it's not your fault. And as we go to why God, why, the second part, you know, what do I do with my pain? What do I do with my trauma? What do I do with this question that I have that doesn't seem to get answered? I want to tell you a little bit about my childhood And then we're going to look at a brief uh, revisit of the film that we saw last week, because it was very powerful. We have a little update from that film. I want you to come with me to my junior year. (laughs) My junior year of high school, um, I had, my parents had split up when I was in seventh grade, and for about three or four years, I just kind of lived in this numb state. But around the end of sophomore, beginning of junior year, I began to feel some of the pain that I'd put aside for a while. And as that happened, I luckily had a really good escape mechanism. It wasn't drugs and it wasn't alcohol, but actually I became this this budding composer. I put all my energy into the music that I enjoyed. And I had enough, I was dangerous, I'll just say that. I was dangerous because I wasn't a great pianist, I wasn't a great singer, I wasn't a great tuba or trombone player, but I had enough music theory in me to just make me dangerous. So that even, that, even though I couldn't play what I was writing, I could hear it, I could imagine it, and I would start to write. And actually, I got halfway decent, as after school and the weekends, I just poured all my energy into my music. And I wrote a piece, believe it or not, for organ, because I was growing up in the church. You know, John mentioned, I grew up in the Methodist church. I wrote a piece for organ, for choir, and for rototom. Now, rototom, that's just a lot of these toms that we see, they're just kind of percussion. And, uh, and it actually, the, the piece got sung by the Boston University Seminary Singers. They sang this piece. I actually got to direct them. And actually, I just remember this. You know, some of you who are at Gordon College remember about three weeks ago, uh, a guy named Andy Crouch came to speak to you. He's written a book called Culture Makers. Well, Andy Crouch was actually at BU Seminary at that time. So I got to direct Andy Crouch, you know, and he's an incredible musician. So I'm pretty proud of that. But I sang, you know, I... I, I, I uh, Performed this piece, I composed it, but I want to let you know, what was the text of that piece, okay? And it was written in a minor key, and it's kind of like, if you can think of like Halloween and organ music, a lot of that was going on, but my text was from Psalm 22, and it was just the cry of my heart. Psalm 22 too, I took it a little bit loosely, and I said, oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. Oh my God, I cry by night, but find no rest. That was the refrain of the song. Now, what in the world is a 16 or 17-year-old writing, oh, my God, I cry by day, you know? What a morbid little kid, or youth. (laughs) But truth be told, as you know, as Joanne just shared, even at 16 and 17, there is a, you know, there can be a wounding in our hearts, and there can be a why, God, why. That's just where I was. I was super aware of my pain, and I was saying with that music, why, God, why? My heart was hurting. My question for you tonight is, what about you? What about your why, God, why situation? Like Jeremy, have you asked God? Have you been praying over and over again for healing, but no breakthrough? 
Or like Shauna mentioned, have you been mad because you can't figure out why you can't hear his voice? He doesn't seem to be speaking. Or like Nicole, and similarly, have you felt stuck? Oh, I'm just stuck and I I can't hear his voice. Maybe like Shauna also, you questioned who God was because everything was so confusing. Are you in a place where you're confused? You wonder, God, what's your deal? Excuse me. Or like Caitlin there at the end, she said, I don't know if you heard it, it kind of trailed off, but she had this concept of God and was wondering, is it even true? Is what I think to be true about God real? Is it lining up with the truth? What about you? And for those of you who are with us and you haven't yet professed faith in Jesus, or you're not sure, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, which is totally okay. I wonder if you wonder, you know, can a God exist given my pain? Those are great questions. Now, the good news is that you and I are not the first people to ask the why God, why question because of our pain. Of course, there have been thousands of people who've asked it, but one very important man also asked, why God, why? Do you remember who it was? And do you remember when it was? Liz, why don't you show us? You and me were not alone. Do you remember this man asking, why? And do you remember from where? From Psalm 22, right? Matthew, in the book of Matthew, the New Testament, it says that Jesus quoted Psalm 22, the first verse. I put the second verse in my song, but Jesus in the first song, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're not alone. When you're asking why, God, why, you're not the first. Jesus himself asked the question, Why, God, why? Why have you forsaken me? You are not alone. And all that Hebrew word for forsaken, it's so powerful. Why have you forgotten me, it says? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you let me loose? And that's the word picture that we get from this word. It's a picture of when when, um, an animal is let loose from its bonds. You know, when an animal is set free, which would sound like a positive thing, but in this case, you know, why have you totally let me go? Why have you completely let go of me. You've let me out of your control. And that's what Jesus was, was saying. Why, God, why? So when you ask why, God, why, you need to know something. If last week we talked about you having an enemy, today we're talking about the fact that you have a friend. You have a friend. You are not alone when you ask why, God, why. And to let you know about what this means, you know, what does this mean that you have a friend, that you're not alone when you ask, why God, why? We're going to turn to a book in the New Testament called Hebrews. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about this book, because it's really important that you understand a few things about this book. <coughs> the funny thing about Hebrews is, as you're turning there, it's actually the book about which, as far as the New Testament goes, we know the least in terms of authorship and audience and date written. We know it couldn't be later than 95 AD that it was written because someone else refers to it then. We know that it's probably earlier than 70 AD because that's when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. (laughs) And it would have been weird for someone as knowledgeable as the author of Hebrews not to mention that. We can't prove that for sure. We don't really know who wrote it. Paul A great writer of the New Testament probably didn't write it because it's so different in style. So some names have been suggested. And for those of you who know the book of Acts, a lot of the history of the church, names like Apollos and Luke, the one who wrote Acts, 
and also Barnabas, the great encourager in the book of Acts. These have been suggested as possible authors for Hebrews, but the truth is, only God knows who wrote it. <laughs> we actually don't know who it was written to either. Isn't that crazy? Scholarship suggests that it was probably a group of Christians in Rome, but it just could have been written really to any churches in the Mediterranean area. But one thing we know about the author's intention was that he was really concerned that people stay true to the faith and they understand fully, fully what Jesus was about. He was very concerned. And so we know that he's writing to second generation Christians. He's writing to people who, who uh, weren't direct eyewitnesses of Jesus, but kind of second generation. So listen to, as he, listen to the, what he tells us about this friend we have in Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews 2. <laughs> and I'm going to start in verse 10. Excuse me. <coughs> I ran a little 5K yesterday. It was freezing, and it was like almost snowing, so now I'm a little not doing well, so I'm sorry for coughing too much. Okay, Hebrews 2, verse 10. I'm going to start in verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, that's you and me, fellow believers, right? In bringing us, sons and daughters, to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through Suffering. Listen, where you're suffering, where you're asking why, God, why, you're not alone. You've got Jesus, a friend who understands. It goes on in verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me brother and sister. He says, interestingly enough, this quote's from Psalm 22. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Listen, something you need to know tonight where you're in the trial, where you're in the struggle, where you're asking why, God, why. Jesus isn't ashamed of you because you're going through a tough time, because you've got defining wounds that are shaping your life. Picking up in verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I, the children God has given me, right? Jesus is happy to call you and me friend, no matter what our why, God, why question is. Verse 14, since the children, that's you and me, since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity. He shared in our humanity. Okay, we serve a God who shares in our humanity. He's a friend, and you're not alone. When you ask why, God, why, when I ask why, God, why, as I did even this morning in my quiet time, there's a piece of my life where I'm asking why, God, why. And even when I do that, I know that I have a friend, and I'm not alone, because Jesus has shared in my humanity. So that by his death, He might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Remember, we talked about him at length last week. You're opposed. You have an enemy. You've been born into a world at war. And free those, I'm at verse 15, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Once again, that's you and me. (coughs) Excuse me. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. I want to highlight from this last verse, 17, it says, he was made like his brothers in every way. Jesus himself asked, why God, why? So when you ask why God, why? When you're asking God, why are you forsaking me? This defining wound is too hard. These circumstances are too difficult. You are not alone. A few chapters ahead, follow with me in Hebrews 5. In verse 7, it says this, 
It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, this is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. What about you? In your why, God, why, have you come to loud cries and tears? I sure have. Sometimes it's been too hard, and I've said, God, what the heck? Excuse me. Text lingo, WTF, G, what the? You know? (laughs) I've asked that to God. I've had some loud cries and tears. You know what? I'm not alone, and you're not alone when you ask it either. (laughs) Verse 8, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience. This kind of blows my mind, right? Jesus had to learn obedience. He learned obedience from what he suffered. Okay, he learned obedience from what he suffered. If the Son of God had to learn obedience through his suffering, maybe you and I do too as well. We'll just end there. Okay, you're not alone. You need to know that. Last week we talked about the fact that you have an enemy. This week you have a friend and you are not alone. I'm just going to stop there because that's a good place to stop. I'm going to ask Josh and the worship team to come back up. And we'll continue next week with Why God Why. I've got a few more thoughts about this. We'll continue with the fact that you're not alone. You have a friend. We've got some wonderful things that can help us along. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to do this. It's okay. We're still working this out. <clears throat> yeah. One of the things that happens, you know, when you um, recognize that it's okay for you to have the why God, why question, you and I, we can move forward. And here's how we move forward. We move forward by allowing God to change that why God, why question to something else. And here's how it works. Instead of just getting stuck in why God, why, right? Here we, Joanne talked about her defining wounds, and we've discussed some of your defining wounds also. But instead of just getting stuck in the why, we move on and we say, God, what in this circumstance that I'm in, in this trial, in this difficulty, in this pain, we say, God, what are you saying to me in this? What are you doing through this? Okay, and for some of you that might be really absurd, like, hey, my pain's so great, I, you know, there's, there's, that might sound really absurd, but I just encourage you, okay, to move on or to move forward from why God, why, next step is, God, what are you saying in this? What are you doing now? And I guarantee you God has a good answer for you. And if you're not sure, we're opening up these sides here so that we can have some of our leadership pray with you and pray through, God, what are you saying? What are you doing, you know, through this tragedy, through this hard thing? God wants to speak. He wants to answer. He wants to let you know how much he loves you through it. And again, if you're not sure, you know, we just showed the the picture, the shot from the passion, Mel Gibson's passion. If you're not sure, you can know that we serve a God who is willing to ask the why God, why question with us, right? The God of the universe was willing to say, why have you forsaken me? That's the God we serve. And for those of you who are here and you're not sure about whether you believe in God or you're not sure if you believe in Jesus yet, I would, I would just kind of put this question to you. Can you believe in a God? Can you believe in a God?
who was willing to subject himself to the same sort of pain, the same sort of trial, the same sort of difficulty that you are in to the degree that he said, why God, why have you forsaken me? God the Son saying to God the Father, why, why, why have you forsaken me? That's the kind of God we serve. He loves you that much. He's so after you not being alone. That's the God we serve. Let's stand up. Let's stand up together.